In Greek mythology, there are three fates who determine your destiny, the spinner, the allotter, and the inflexible. In this week's episode of the Scary Spirits podcast, In the Mouth of Madness, we have only one author who is scripting all the action, and that is the incomparable Sutter Kane. And let's just say he isn't the kindest man. But whether you believe your destiny is predetermined by someone else, or you're in charge, that's totally on you. But if someone is controlling my life with prose, I'd like a word. Cheers! Welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast. Please be advised that the presenters may use adult language and or discuss adult situations. This podcast is not intended for younger listeners or those that may be easily offended. So, if you're ready, let's go. Hi, I'm Greg. Hey, I'm Karen. And welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast, the podcast that combines the two very different but highly compatible worlds of scary films and alcoholic spirits. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. How are you, Karen? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Greg? I'm okay. Thank you for asking. It's what we do. It is. All right, Karen, I believe this week was my choice, was it, was it, was it not? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Greg, it was your choice. What did you choose for us? This week, Karen, I have chosen the 1995 film, In the Mouth of Madness, directed by John Carpenter. So, two John Carpenter films in a row, Karen. I mean... Could it get any better than that? I know. Great minds think alike, right? You picked one last week. I picked one this week. I was first, though. <laughs> Why did you pick this you film? Were. Well, Karen, it was released, as I said, in 1995 on February the 3rd. And this episode goes live on February the 8th. So about a week after, but five days after, but still... It's never too late to celebrate in the mouth of madness, Karen. Absolutely not. Do you have a drink to go with it? I do, Karen. Do tell. The drink I have chosen is called the Hobbs and Highball. It is actually a recipe inspired by this film, Karen. Excellent. See what I did there? You're very clever. (laughs) Would you like to know how to make it? I would. Of course you would. We're going to need two ounces of gin, dry gin. I don't know what the difference is between gin and dry gin or wet gin or whatever. Slow gin. How many different gins are there, Karen? I don't know. Well, I know the difference between gin and slow gin. Okay. I do not. Slo- a slow couple, a couple of slow gin fizzes did me in <laughs> once. So I'm very familiar with slow gin, but I just used what gin I had in the cupboard. I did too. I assume it's dry gin. One and a half ounces of blue curacao. And as I was making this drink, I said, ooh, I bet this is going to be blue. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you're just blowing them away. I know. And then I said, ooh, that has something to do with the film as well. And then three quarters ounce lemon juice from the plastic lemon, Karen. 
mine are real. And of, <laughs> of course they are, Karen. I think we all know that by now. I think you've told us repeatedly. I just like to say it. <laughs> and club soda. We're going to combine all the ingredients except for the club soda into a mixing glass with ice and stir. Then we're going to strain into a highball glass filled with fresh ice. Fresh ice, Karen. I do enjoy fresh ice. Then we're going to top that with the club soda. And then we serve. And it is a beautiful shade of blue, I think. It is. And it's very tasty. Is it? I like gin, I guess. I know some eh, people don't. but Not my thing. I enjoy gin. That's the first thing I said. A little too much gin. Well, first I got the lemon, right? And then the gin, but a little too much gin for me, I think. Not bad. As it sits, it gets better. And I stir it. It'll evaporate just like the rest of them. It probably will, Karen. Should we give our friends and listeners time to make their drinks? Absolutely. Hold on. And we're back. Yes, we are. All right, Karen, might you have a brief synopsis for us? Of course I do. I can always depend on you. Yes, you can. Go on. Tell me a story. When horror novelist Sutter Kane goes missing, insurance investigator John Trent scrutinizes the claim made by his publisher, Jackson Harglow and endeavors to retrieve a yet-to-be-released manuscript and ascertain the writer's whereabouts. Accompanied by the novelist's editor, Linda Stiles, and disturbed by nightmares from reading Kane's other novels, Trent makes an eerie nighttime trek to a supernatural town in New Hampshire. Thank you, Karen, for that very accurate synopsis. It's one of our best, I think. It is. Should we get into it? Absolutely. Anything we, anything we need to cover first? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. In the Mouth of Madness from 1995. Did you watch it on Amazon? I did, Karen. I did also. So we have violence, substance abuse, alcohol use, smoking, lots of smoking, Karen. Oh, my God. Yes. And sexual content. Not quite as good as sexual contact, but we'll take it. <laughs> Mine still says contact. That's how my voice to text reads it. I'm sticking with it. And we have credits. And some awesome music. It's like heavy metal music to start this. Good catch, Karen. So did that music sound familiar to you at all? It did, but I couldn't play I couldn't place it, but you know, it's I like that kind of music. So I was like, ooh, this is gonna be a rocker. I believe John Carpenter of course all the music is by John Carpenter, right? With the third one song in here that's not, but the rest of it is. And I believe he has said in interviews that the best heavy metal song ever written is Enter Sandman by Metallica. It's a good pick. And this song sounds a lot like that. And there's a reason, because he tried to get the rights to that song, but couldn't. So he wrote his own very similar version. Oh, that surprises me that... <laughs> 
Metallica wouldn't give John Carpenter rights to that. Maybe <laughs> one, maybe one in the budget, Karen. Oh, well, there is that. <laughs> it's probably them damn record or film executives and record executives, too. We'll blame them both. And while the credits are going, we see like a printing press is what I said. Yeah. First, I thought it was a newspaper press, but it turns out it's not. It's a book. Yeah. As the credits are going by, I made a note of Greg Nicotero, who did the effects with Robert Kurtzman. So they both were, you know, from The Walking Dead and stuff. So I recognize mm. them. Well, the book is by Sutter Kane. It is. And I just want to say, I think that's a very cool name. I like that name. It is. It's a good name. And Sutter Kane is based on Stephen King. Makes sense. They do ding him a couple times in here. So <laughs> that was funny. They do. But we see the book at the end Are of the they credits. friends? Are they friends or is there animosity? They there? are. They are friends. Oh, okay. I just wondered when I was watching it. So, okay. Makes sense. And the book is called The Hobbs and Horror by Sutter Kane. And we start the film, we see John Trent, who we learn is John Trent, arriving at an asylum. But he does not go in quietly, Karen. No, he's fighting. He's in a street jacket, too. Yeah, so he is kicking and screaming. They put him in a cell. Did you notice it was cell number nine? I did not. It comes up later, too. But yes, it is cell number nine. Okay. Well, they say put him in cell number nine, and they do throw him in a padded room. And of course, he yells, I'm not insane, but none of them are, because they all start saying that. I'm not either. I'm not either. All the way down the <laughs> row. Yeah, they they throw him in a padded room with a bucket and an Ikea mattress is what I thought. <laughs> and then the, what would you call him? The um, attendant or whatever, the. I called him an orderly. Orderly. He's he's working the admitting counter, right? But but seems like he has other jobs. But yes, he goes to the admission desk. And he turns up the music and I wrote Carpenter's music. It is the Car- <laughs> Carpenters. And then John Trent says, oh, no, not the Carpenters, too. <laughs> but it's Muzak Carpenter. It's not, you know, right? It's not the actual Yeah, but all the inmates start singing it. They do. <laughs> yeah, it's an instrumental version, but everyone knows the words, Karen, kind of like, you know, Sweet Caroline and things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's a knock on the cell door. Trent gets up to look out the window and we see a shadow behind him in the cell, like someone's in there with him. Mm-hmm. As it doesn't cross his face, it's in the background behind him, right? Yes. And he says to whoever is there, this is not the way to end it. And whoever's there says, you haven't read it yet. And then I have axe and blood. Do we have a montage of axes and blood, Karen? There's a hand that breaks the glass behind him because there's a bit of glass in the door, which doesn't make much sense in that scenario, but it's true. And then, yes, there's a montage of scary images. And he throws himself on the mattress. Next, we cut to a man who we learn is Dr. Wren, played by, oh yeah, David Warner. We've done lots of David Warner films, including The Omen, Karen. I believe we did The Omen on his birthday or something. And it was right after he passed as well. So David Warner plays Dr. Wren. He comes to visit Trent. 
he asked the uh, attendant there if he's asked for anything. Saperstein Trent... is his name. Yes, it is. <laughs> he asked Saperstein if Trent has asked for anything, and he says only a black crayon. Which they gave to him. They did. So Ren enters the room, and there's crosses everywhere all over the padded cells and on his face and his pajamas. So he's been busy drawing crosses everywhere with his black crayon. Yeah, it must have been a big-ass black crayon. Then Dr. Wren lights a Marlboro for Trent, and Trent begins to tell his story. He says he wants to stay, and then he says there's a guard with swollen testicles who swears you want to get out of here because <laughs> he fought hard going in. Yes. But he's changed his mind. And John says, Trent, John Trent is his name. You're waiting to hear about them, aren't you? And then he starts to tell the story. And he's an insurance investigator, as the synopsis said. And he's investigating insurance fraud. He's freelance. Yeah. Apparently, well, he works for an insurance company, right? Well, he wa- he works for different companies, whoever hires him. Okay. And apparently, the scene we cut to is he's investigating a man who claims his barn burned down. But Trent doesn't buy it. He thinks it was arson. He believes the man burned his own barn down with all his valuable possessions in it. I think it's a warehouse that he claimed he was storing everything in. So John Trent is a calm, cool, and collected, asking questions. And the played by Sam Neill. Sam Neill, one of my favorite actors. The man who hired him is Robbie behind the desk. And the man who's being questioned, who's claiming that this has all happened, is sweating like a menopausal woman in a sauna. I mean. And smoking a Marlboro. Just sweating profusely. Yeah. Trent even asked, you want me to turn on the air conditioning at one point? But he's claiming he's, you know, telling the truth. And then Trent starts to pull out the evidence. Pictures of his wife and mistress wearing jewelry and furs and whatnot so first he shows him pictures of his wife this is to show how clever he is right well your wife's been walking around town in things that you claimed were burned in the fire and shows her in a fur coat walking in town and then he says he went and talked to his wife and apparently there are pictures of his mistress walking around town in nicer things from the warehouse so the wife squeals because you don't give your mistress nicer things than your wife yeah she says she didn't think she knew as much as she really did yeah (laughs) suddenly she remembers things so i just said john is very good at his job and that's what that scene for is for basically is to give you a little background on trent john yeah that he's calm and cool Cool. smart knows what he's doing good at his job so next we see Trent having lunch with Robinson, who they call Robbie. Right. And a bus pulls up and the bus has a, a Sutter cane in the mouth of madness ad on the side of it. So Trent and Robinson are talking about the next job, actually the job for the publishing company that he wants, Robinson wants Trent to take, right? I think so. And a man with an, well, you're kind of distracted because there's a man with an ax across the street. <laughs> right. It's hard to concentrate on what they're saying. Who begins I'm... walking across the street to- directly towards where they are sitting. 
And he looks a little hagged out. He's not he does. looking. He's a little haggard. Know. Robinson tells Tal and Trent that Sutter Kane is missing. Um, and that I guess he hasn't turned in the final manuscript and the publishing company is claiming insurance on it, whatever. But the man smashes through the window with an axe right where they're sitting. Yeah. And there's chaos and panic. And the man <laughs> says to Trent, do you read Sutter Kane? And he appears to have two pupils in each eye, Karen. Oh, I thought he had two irises. Yeah. Maybe this is it the same thing. I guess it is. Well, no, irises are the colored circles. Hmm. Pupils are the black part. Yeah, so he had two. Like, uh, they look like infinity sign. Yeah. And they were blue. And he looks like he hasn't slept in a very long time, this man. But he is shot and killed by the police. Right as he's about to chop John. I guess I was calling him John in the beginning, and then everybody starts calling him Trent. So right as he's about to kill Trent, the police shoot him. Then we hear news reports and see news reports of fans of Sutter Kane causing problems at bookstores because they don't have their pre-orders ready for them. So Trent goes to the publishing company and sees Jackson Harglow, who was played by Charlton Heston, Karen. Did you recognize Charlton Heston? I did, and I called him Charlton Heston through the whole thing. <laughs> He's not in it a lot. No. And then we meet Lydia Stiles, the editor, Karen. And I think right immediately after Trent lights his Marlboro, he kind of has a thing for Linda Stiles here in the beginning. I agree. And they tell him that Kane went missing two months ago. And we also learn that the man with the axe was Kane's agent. And Trent thinks the whole thing is a publicity stunt. Linda is his editor, Sutter Kane's editor. At first, yes. I thought she was a receptionist, but right away I find out she's not. And she says Kane is a $1 billion franchise. The company needs him. And she also says that Kane has an effect on the less stable readers, sometimes disorientation or memory loss and paranoia. He asks her out on a date because he basically says, let's go to dinner and look through the files. And like you said, he has a thing for her right away. And she says no. Um, but he says he needs to see all the papers and contracts. And she says that's impossible. We don't even know where he is. A year before he disappeared and everything's become more radical and bizarre. And she needs to know if he's dead or alive. And they need the book. Yes. And Kent is not impressed. He he just keeps kind of saying the books are stupid, basically. <laughs> and she keeps telling him to read one. And then he's walking down the street. Trent walks home. Yeah, and it's not a very nice neighborhood, doesn't look like. And there's posters on the, you know how they put posters on the plywood walls, like construction sites or in New York, they just plaster those mm -hmm. ads kind of up. Well, that's what it looks like. And there's pieces ripped out of the poster. And then he turns the corner and there's a policeman beating the crap out of a homeless guy. Yeah, who was spray painting on the alley there, apparently. Oh, I didn't see that part. Yeah, because but... they shoot to where it says C-A-N. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then he keeps walking and the cop yeah. says, you want some too, buddy? But Trent keeps walking, goes home and calls his boss. Robinson tells his boss he believes the whole thing is a scam. It's just going to take him a little time to figure it all out. 
it's like mass hysteria or something. It'll pass. But the in the background, the TV is still talking about the riots and the bookstores and all that. So Trent goes to a bookstore the next day and he buys all of Sutter Kane's books. A boy, teenage boy, I guess, walks up to him and says, I can see. He can see you. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I think he has weird. blood on his face, too. He does. But that might be from the riots of all the people trying to get in and get a book. He appeared to be like a bookstore employee to me. Yes. That's why I think maybe he got beat up a little bit. So he buys all the books. Cut back to Trent's apartment again, and he's talking to Robinson again. Tells him the Sutter Kane's books are pretty average, you know, as far as horror goes. But they do seem to get to you in a way, he says. And he smokes another Marlboro and continues reading, Karen. <laughs> then I wrote he daydreams about the cop in the alley again. He like relives that whole thing. I think he was dreaming. I do yeah. too. But eventually I said daydreaming. And now the words on the alley say can see. So there's, there's been also more letters added. Slime on the posters. Yeah. And the policeman turns around and. He's not normal. Looks kind of like a zombie. And then there's a group of people with axes. And in the center of the group of people is the agent who we saw earlier with the axe. And the agent says to Trent, he sees you. And then the group kill the agent with their axes. And they don't look normal either. They're all zombified too. They look a little more than haggard. Half yeah. their faces are melting off and things like right. that. Trent wakes up and finds the cop sitting beside him. <laughs> he screams and wakes up again. Yeah, that's brutal. Trent lights another Marlboro. He, he does has... smear some ink on his face. Yeah. So yeah, from his pen, this ink in his pen explodes and he goes to wipe his eyes. So he has black under his eyes now. I don't know what that was all about, but. I don't know if it was a little foreshadowing of later he drew the crosses all over his face or not. I don't know. Maybe. But he has all the books sitting on his coffee table there and he all of a sudden the light bulb goes off Karen. He tears the covers from all the books and he cuts along a red line which is on all the covers and he pieces them together and they form the state of New Hampshire. And he says cute. Now he knows why Kane had the artwork done himself, he Correct. says. Uh, he shows this to the publishers, right? Is that who he shows it to? Yeah, he's back at the publishing office. Yeah, and the, they mark, when you put all the pieces together, there's a spot on the map that marks the spot of Hobbs End. And again, Trent believes this whole thing is a publicity stunt to sell books. Which, you know, Karen, if he's like a, you know, Selling billions of dollars worth of books. Do you really need a publicity stunt to sell more? That's kind of what I was wondering why they were doing all this because mm. there's riots already, but that's fine. And they say it doesn't exist, but he says, well, maybe it doesn't exist now, but it probably existed before. And Charlton Heston says they have nothing to hide. He only wants his fair share of Kane's money. And he doesn't care if he's dead or not. He just wants the money. Well, he wants the manuscript. Right. 
So Trenton Styles go looking for the well, town. So Charlton Heston says he's sending Styles with him, which who is yeah. Linda? Linda. Right. And uh she doesn't seem too thrilled by that. And I don't know why she has to go either. What why does she need to go? I don't know. I guess to make Char- sure that Charlton if he, Heston wants someone there he trusts. I don't know. To make sure if he finds the manuscript, they'll bring it back, I guess. I don't know. It just didn't seem like I didn't get why she really had to go, but whatever. Well, she knows Sutter Kane for one thing. True. Trent seems pleased that she has to go with him. So they're driving. And I wrote corn, 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 corn. (laughs) Yeah. It's a Haywood Bank song, I believe I've referenced before, Karen. Yes. This is the section where we find out that she's not supposed to like him, right? He's being a dick. She's asleep. He takes a bike horn that's conveniently in the glove compartment and wakes her up and he's singing America the Beautiful. And it's just a bit to show that, you know, she doesn't really like him. Here's what I have. Trenton Styles debate. About reality and sanity. Yeah, they have philosophical talk about reality and sanity. If the insane would become the majority, you'd find yourself locked in a padded cell wondering what happened to the world, is what she says. And then it's getting dark, and Styles, I guess, takes the wheel. Linda. Yes, and it's, yeah, it's, you're right, it's dark out. She's driving. They pass a kid on a bicycle with playing cards in his spokes. Which I, of course, did. Did you? I did. But it's pitch black out. I use baseball cards, though, Karen. Oh, I use playing cards. Probably a Pete Rose rookie card or something. <laughs> yeah. Some throwaway one like that. Or Willie Starger rookie card. Yeah. You know what? I will say my grandparents worked in a bicycle factory. So we had felt fenders and like just different stuff for the bike that other people didn't have that they got. But I don't know why you would want felt fenders. It seems kind of silly, but. We did purple, as a matter of fact, and fuzzy seats and stuff like that. Well, you know, Karen, it was the. Don't say it. (laughs) It was in the olden days. (laughs) Okay. But he's riding the bike on a road in the middle of nowhere when it's pitch black out with no lights on his bike at all. Correct. Just reflectors. And we hear people on the radio debating what is going on concerning the Sutter Kane readers all going crazy and she's getting sleepy she's kind of blinking a lot and nodding off and then we pass an old man on the exact same bicycle going the opposite direction yes so that was kind of creepy styles stops to look at a map or something no she doesn't stop she looks down yeah away from where she puts her glasses on yeah she puts her glasses on and looks at the paper map and then the man is right in front of them and she hits him Slams they, on the brakes. Yep. They pull over. Both she and Trent get out of the car. They go over to check on him. And he says, I can't get out. He won't let me out. And it sounds like a young man. Right. Voice. It does. Then he just gets up and rides away, Karen. <laughs> yep. Gets back on the bike and off he goes. With That's the, right. It is a kind of eerie sound. Once you fall off that, you know. Isn't get that back like on. A, yeah. Fall off the bike. You got to get back on. But it's an eerie sound with those cards in the spokes and nothing else. I thought yeah. it was effective. 
And it looked like it was 1.41 a.m. on the car. And she's a little woozy. The Cadillac, Karen. She can't figure out what happened. But he's asleep again. He it's is. just funny. He goes back. To, well, we just hit someone. They seem okay. Let's go on. <laughs> yeah, we'll tell the police in the next town, whatever. Then the car, I wrote, appears to be levitating. There's crazy stuff going on right here. Yes. She's and driving they, in the sky. <laughs> and they end up on a covered bridge, question mark, I wrote. Yes. And then it's obvious it's a covered bridge. And they exit the bridge into daylight, Karen. That was weird, but yes. They, they look back. She looks back across the bridge, and it's still daylight. And the other side of the bridge, too. And she wakes up Trent. And he says, oh, I, I must have slept all night. And then a sign comes into focus behind them that says, welcome to Hobbs End. He's very impressed that she found it. He is. And she's confused because she has no idea how they got there. Nope. And she tells him he's driving. She didn't want to drive anymore. And I wrote, it's a quiet town, Karen. Hobbs it's End. very quiet. But it looks very typical American small, town. It's a small, sleepy town. <laughs> looks empty. No cars, yep. no people. No one is to be seen. Nope. I did notice it was fall because the leaves were red, but I didn't know if that was going to make a difference or not, but it doesn't. They stop and get out. and Lots of antique shops, apparently. And Styles sees a dog running followed by a bunch of kids. When Trent turns to look, they are gone. And as they are driving away, we see a bloody axe in a fore in the foreground, right? Stabbed yes. into a log or something. Next they arrive at a apparently place called Pickman Hotel. Pickman Hotel. And he says, How did you know about this place? Yes, and apparently it's in the book. Yes, she's read it in one of his books. From the Hobbs and Horror. They go in and ring the bell, and Mrs. Pickman comes in. They ask about Sutter Kane. She says she's never heard of him. And at one, one point, Linda says, there should be a painting right behind us. And Trent turns to look, and there is. And she knows about loose floorboards and everything in this hotel. Because she's read it in the novel. She's read it. But the painting keeps changing as they're standing there talking. <laughs> But only she sees it changing, Linda. So they end up in the room? Yes, room number nine. Okay. Number nine. Number nine. The same as his padded cell. Number nine. But he's all hot and bothered, says they're not living inside a Sutter Kane story. Right. They debate the situation, right? Yeah. Trent doesn't believe it. He still believes it's all a publicity stunt and styles Linda. Knows more than she's letting on. To prove it, he says, in the book, there's a church. But when he opens the window, it's a barn. Yes. But then she corrects him and says, well, if you read more carefully, the church would be out this window. And she opens it and they can see it. And there it is. And then they start reading the fiction book like a guidebook. Yeah. They go to the black church, Karen, as Trent reads from the book. Styles sees the dog and children again. It's an Australian shepherd, by the way. Trent continues reading. Looked like an Australian shepherd. Herding dog. I don't know why it's running from the children. It should be herding them. Exactly. <laughs> then cars pull up. Well, the church is locked. And then there's a mosaic. 
and they notice it's the battle for heaven. It's Archangel Michael fighting off the creatures from hell, basically. And then cars approach quickly and she starts panicking. We have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. They have guns. Yeah, she says we can't be in front of the church. They have guns. So they run away. Cars pull up. A bunch of people get out with guns. Go up to the door. And one of the man yells at the door, give him back. Kane. He yells, yes, Kane. The door opens and there's a child inside there. Apparently it's, his name is Johnny. Johnny boy. I said, I don't think Johnny boy is Johnny boy anymore. But I thought this was a cool scene where the doors are opening and closing. Opening like, and shut. They open yeah. and shut repeatedly. And eventually they reveal... Sutter Kane, the boy turns into Sutter Kane. Yes. And then Dobermans come from around the corner of the church, Karen. Yes, they do. <laughs> you want to talk about Dobermans? I knew you'd want to talk about Dobermans. I love Dobermans. Happened. Dobermans are awesome. Tell us all about Doberman pinchers, Karen. They were they were bred to help tax collectors collect their money. That's what they were originally for. So on the Top 10 smartest We did dog. this before, didn't we? We've we already done with, this. I think we did with Rottweilers, didn't we? Yeah. Well, or German Shepherds. Well, just guess. <laughs> and we'll see. I think we might have too, but I wasn't sure. We did. Do you remember? I don't remember. No. How, where are they on the smart? Which number are they? Yeah. Is that what you want to know? Yeah. Uh, they were higher than I thought they'd be. I remember that. <laughs> so I'm going to say three. They're five. Okay. <laughs> I don't like when Dobermans are used in movies like this because they're actually very sweet family dogs. And we've had multiple ones and they're we amazing. We talked dogs. about it in The Omen with the Roddy, maybe, but whatever. By nature, Dobermans you didn't are like a little that either, I don't think. <laughs> well, no, because I have one of those now. So it's just protecting the young child, the spawn of Satan. But go on. We're not talking about that movie. <laughs> They're a little reserved with people they don't know, and they have a natural instinct to protect their owners, which is exactly what they were bred for, because they were bred in Germany to protect tax collectors. So their sole purpose is to protect their owner. If they sense something is wrong, they'll act. They're incredibly loyal, love to stick by the side of their owners, which they really do. Like They, they call it the Doberman lean. Where if you're standing there, they will actually lean into you as the owner. They love their owners and will defend them to the death. Even though they're family dogs, they do tend to bond to one specific member of the family more than the others, which is kind of cool. But they're highly trainable. I remember walking my Doberman. I had a Doberman named Voodoo, my first one. It was a huge Doberman, and I was walking him in the neighborhood when I lived in California and there was a large Hispanic community around there too. And I was walking him and these young men in a truck pulled up next to me. I used to think, Oh God, they're going to say something. And they wouldn't say anything about me. They would slow down and they would go nice dog <laughs> instead of anything about me. But then one time a kid pulled up and they go, is it true that Dobermans turn on their owners when they turn five? And I looked at Tar and said, I sure hope not. Because <laughs> he's five. Come at me and find out. Yeah. 
Dobermans are awesome dogs. They shouldn't be in movies like this. But anyway. But they are protecting their owner, apparently. They are. I guess you can't have a golden retriever coming at you. It's not the same feel. It is not, no. So I get it in that sense. They have the look. Yeah, golden retriever would be like, you got a ball, you got a ball, you got a ball, you got a ball. (laughs) Hello, friend. (laughs) So the Dobermans, more of them come. I mean, well, three three come out, then three more come out, yeah, then three increase. more come out. They yeah. just keep coming. Not to that I want them to shoot the dogs, but they all have guns. Why aren't they, they shooting do. the dogs? They they shoot in the vicinity of the dogs, but they don't really aim. And they start falling down, and the dogs start attacking attacking them. And the rest, the crowd leaves. If you fell, you're fucked. Nobody's yeah. stopping for you. The Dobermans are well trained. They go. They know where to go. They go for the padded arms and legs. Right. I, I exactly. made a note. They did. You could tell that. <laughs> Absolutely. So then Trent and Styles get in their car and they leave, or they get in the car to leave. But there's a child there, a little girl, and she tells Linda Styles that I can see. And we're back at the hotel. Trent still thinks that's a publicity stunt. Well, he says, how did you know this was going to happen? And she says she read it. So he read all the books. So why didn't he know all this stuff? Well, or is this cramming. the Or was this the new book that she read pieces of and they just haven't gotten the end of the book yet? Maybe. You know, Don't because know. he seemed very unaware of what was happening. Except that he knew the church was there. Yes. But then he... The, the, well, he knew the hotel is from... The Hobbs and Horror. And this new book, I guess, must be a secret. They must be like a series, series. of books all about this town, Hobbs. So he, she's read some of the newest books. Then. She has, yeah. It sounds The newest like. one that hasn't been released The newest yet. book, yes. Because he's pissed that she knew all this stuff. And he says, how did you know? And she said she read it, like I said. But he read all the books. So I was confused. Why didn't he know? But she must yeah. have... Because she's his editor, maybe she's gotten pieces of it already. I guess. I don't know. Right. And this is where Styles comes clean and says she knows that what they're going through is real because originally it was a publicity stunt and they did send Kane away, but they were not supposed to find anything when she and Trent went looking for them. There's not supposed to be any Hobbs End. Right, and they don't know where Kane is. They sent yeah. him away, but then they they lost him. And they don't, and that's how she knows that this is real. Oh, she does say no one knew what was in it except her and the agent. Yes, so that's when she, this is when she talks about the new novel. It's about the end of the world, about evil taking over, and it begins in Hobbs End. Okay, what well, says it starts with the children. And people turn into things, creatures that aren't human anymore. And then Styles tries to seduce Trent, Karen. Well, he says it's fiction, and she says they need to find the balls. They need to read the new book to find a way out so they can skip the ending. And he really hopes she's making all this up because if not, she's crazy. And then because he's starting to wonder what's going on she immediately starts to kiss him (laughs) and says don't make me do this alone but all of a sudden he's not so interested nope he leaves the room and styles grabs the keys from the dresser or whatever 
We see Trent in the lobby of the hotel. He's looking at the painting. And it's changed again. Of course, he's smoking a Marlboro, and Mrs. Hickman asks him not to smoke. Says it annoys her husband or aggravates her husband or something. And Trent goes to talk to her, says, you know, must be hard to keep this place up and keep it clean. You look like you've been up all night. And she says she's been reading. And we hear moaning coming from behind the counter. Yes, we do. <laughs> and she just kicks whatever's down there. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Styles leaves and then we see. Yeah, Linda runs out. And he goes after her before he can see what's behind the desk. He's distracted from the groaning behind the desk. Yeah, but we see that it is Mr. Hickman and he is chained to Mrs. Hickman's ankles. And I believe he's buck naked, Karen. He's naked. I think he's handcuffed. Is he chained he or hand- yeah, yeah, he's that's handcuffed. Hand- yeah, he's connected to her ankles. <laughs> so I guess she's just been dragging him around. <laughs> yep. But he is naked. So two butt cheeks. And they do mention earlier when they first get to the hotel, when they're in a room arguing that in the book, Mrs. Hickman hacked her husband to death with an axe. Hickman or Pickman? What is it? Pickman. It is Pickman. Okay. Yeah. Yes. She chopped him up like coleslaw, I believe is how he described it. Does that make you want to order coleslaw? (laughs) Greg and I are both so excited that you're listening to the Scary Spirits podcast, and we would love to hear from you. Do you have a movie suggestion for us, or possibly a favorite drink you'd like us to try? Or maybe you just want to say hi. If so, you can email us at info at scaryspirits.com. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. And we see Trent at a bar. And the man from the church comes into the bar, Johnny's father, apparently. And he tries to convince Trent to leave. This is, this is not a tourist town. Trent that, believes they're all actors and it's all the publicity stuff, but he's impressed. They're all good. And we see Styles at the church. She comes upon the children. And they're beginning to look a little worse for wear as well. Yes, they're progressing. <laughs> Bloody faces and whatnot. But just a question here that I have is, this is what happens to you when you read the books. You have to read the books. The kids aren't reading the books. They're for they're adult books. So why are the kids changing first? Don't know. Or is or is he taking the children? Because he took Johnny. So yeah. is he is he converting the children separately? Because to to have all this happen, you have to read the books. Well, right. In the book, maybe the I'm just I'm I'm going to call them the old ones, for lack of a better word. Convert the children first, or maybe because they're easier to convert. I guess, but I guess all this had I thought all this had to happen because you read the books, isn't? Because then, well, later we'll say what about the people who don't read, and there's a solution to that. But they're in the book. Oh, so he's <laughs> writing them in the book. Okay. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> These aren't real children, right? They're children in the book, right? I don't know, I guess. Yes, yes. They are in children in the book. Well, she asks, you know, who takes care of them? And they say, you do. You're our mommy. And they say, today is mommy's day. So then she goes up to the church and there's a plaque 
which yeah, is very was, hard to read. I couldn't read it. It was too dark. So I think it says, I paused, and I think it says, any who dare enter this unholy site be damned for ye. Mm, sounds appropriate. <laughs> she enters the church, and of course, there's an upside down cross right in there. Well, yeah. As 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 there is. There's a requirement. <laughs> and she starts looking around and eventually she hears a typewriter. She opens the door and there's one there, but it's empty. Then she closes the door and starts to take a few steps and then she hears the typewriter. So just out of curiosity, and there's a lot of different information about this, but when would you guess the first commercially made typewriter was patented. Let's go with that. Patented typewriter. Um, I'm going to say, I'm just pulling a number out of the air here, Karen. I'm going to say 1849. Not bad. It's 1868. Ah, I was going to go with 1860s, but I thought that would be too late. Well, just because Civil Wars, 1860s, you know, I'm sure they... This is the first commercially made typewriter. Okay. So there's a, it dates back further prototypes and stuff, but this is what I could find that was consistent. It was actually completed in September of 1867, but the patent wasn't issued until June 1868. The man who was responsible for this invention was Christopher Latham Scholes of, want to guess, somewhere in America, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. The first commercial model was manufactured in 1873. I would probably was said Chicago, but whatever. and was mounted on a sewing machine stand. So there you go. So once she hears that, I like the sound of a typewriter. I miss typewriters. I like that. Well, my keyboard at work makes a very similar sound. Maybe that's why I like it. The keyboard or the typewriter? My keyboard at work. I will tell you, I have a love-hate relationship with typewriters. It was my only B in high school <laughs> class. Well, that tra- and trampoline. That is what kept me from All being right. number one in my class. All right, All right everyone. Ready? Aww. <laughs> Although poor my pumpkin. kids. My poor, poor Ifra. No cell walls. Um, my kids are impressed at how I can type, though, because I took typing in high school. But it, so I. it ruined me <laughs> because I didn't learn the numbers. That was my problem. I still can't do the numbers. I have to have a laptop with the numbers. On the side? Yep. I yeah, need a full see, keyboard. Right. <laughs> I can imagine you do, but. I do. Anyway, that's my typing story. Everybody's playing their little violins for me now. But she opens the door and Sutter Kane's in there typing away, right? He says, you can edit this one from the inside looking out. Yeah. Then a hand reaches out and grabs Styles, and there's a little jump scare and the door shuts. Kane also says, all these years I thought I was making all of this up, but they were telling me what to write. And the wall basically starts kind of breathing with black goo behind him. He goes on to say, giving me the power to make it all real. She seems a little seduced by him or something. I can't really tell. He walks up to her. And says, come see the instrument of the homecoming, the new Bible. Yes. He grabs her hair and like grabs the back of her head and shoves her head down towards what Into appears what? to be the manuscript. 
but a light box, like so almost yeah. lit from underneath the manuscript. Yep. So, and then there's a montage of scary images is what mm-hmm. I, I wrote montage of monsters, axes, and blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Styles goes to hug Kane. And a monster begins to protrude from his back, I wrote. There's a ripping sound, yeah. So it's weird. These monsters, we kind of see them as they come along now. How would you describe them? Lovecraftian. Well, if you haven't read Lovecraft. Because the people who are turning are tentacles, Lots of tentacles and stuff. Like zombie kind of people. But these monsters, I kept calling them... They look like creatures from the sea, yes. like deep in the sea where there li- is no light. <laughs> you know how you see those. And it's kind of a dichotomy. The people who are changing, the actual people are kind of looking like zombies. But these creatures are looking more like deep sea creatures, but on land. I don't know. Yes. It was weird. It Very was weird. Lovecraftian. Okay. <laughs> So then Styles goes back to the hotel and warns Trent not to read the book. She says, I am losing me. And Trent goes to the lobby. He tries the phone. It doesn't work. It's dead. So he goes to the lobby to see if he can get a phone. Because she's wigging out up in the room. Yes. And then the lights begin to fade in and out. He looks at the painting. Okay. Trent hears screams. As he's in the lobby and he goes to investigate. So he leaves. Yes. Yeah. So Linda's upstairs freaking out. Mrs. Pickman won't come to the front desk. The painting has changed into grotesque figurines with the church in the background, which was figurines. There. What did I say? Fig- figurines. Yeah. yeah figurines. Well, that's <laughs> figures. Sorry. And the church is now on the picture, which it wasn't before. It was just a park oh, or something. Didn't notice that. But then he hears screaming. So he goes to investigate in the basement, of course. And we see Mrs. Pickman has turned into a tentacled monster. Yes. And appears to be hacking at her husband with an axe. Is that what she's doing? That's pretty dark. Yeah. But she has slimy arms and legs and chopping up her husband. Trent goes back to the room. He tells Styles they are leaving now. Well, she's like in the other, she's like in the bathroom or something, right? Because she's behind a door, which is, has frosted glass on it. Yeah. And she's growling. And we see tentacles under the door. Then she opens the door and comes out very happy. Smiling. (laughs) But like throws him back. Like he like. Like through a wall almost or something. Like through the door of the room or something. She's got some super strength. And then Trent runs to the car. Next thing I have is Styles in the center of town, surrounded by townspeople with torches and axes. The old mob mentality. Trent does exactly what I would do. He goes back to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty calmly, I would say. And the man is still in there who was in there earlier. Johnny's dad. Yep. Trent says he still believes it's all a publicity stunt. Tells them all how great they are, how you know great actors they are. And- the guy with the, the mob, I called him the mob man. The Johnny's dad's looking a little worse for wear now. Yeah, he shows him a cut on his cheek or something. He says it was caused by his daughter. And he talks about them going after the children first. Then he takes the shotgun and he blows his head off, Karen. And 
Trent tries to stop him, but the man says that's the way he was he was written that way. He has to. <laughs> yeah, so there's a little bit of leeway in it, unless Sutter Kane is writing that he has to say, I have to do this. I was written this way. He's a little upset that this has happened. He's a little hyperventilating a little bit and gets out of the bar. Trent and Styles get in the car. Trent goes to start the car, but there's no keys. And Styles has the keys, and then she swallows them. She tries to eat the keys. Oh, she does do it. She does. Yeah, yeah. She eats this whole thing of like four keys. <laughs> Impressive. And Trent opens the glove compartment there and grabs what appears. I guess it's a screwdriver, and he starts the car with it, and they drive away. Well, he after he sticks his hand down her throat to try to get the keys. Yeah. Could you start a car with just a screwdriver, Greg? No, I could not, Karen. You don't know how to hotwire a car? Especially cars. My car has no place to put a key. (laughs) Well, that's now, I should say, back then. No, I do not know how to hotwire a car. Not one of your skills. No, not one of my skills. Do you, Karen? I won't say. (laughs) Okay. Probably better that way. (laughs) For everyone involved. Then Styles goes to kiss Trent. She says it's good for the book. It's what the readers want. <laughs> yes. She says Kane is writing her and says he wants her to kiss him. So she's being written this way that she yes. needs to kiss him. So now what appears to be happening is Kane is writing as he's writing, the action is happening. Um, they stop and we see the bicycle and the old man again at a payphone, right? Yeah, in the middle of nowhere, yes. And then Styles gets out of the car and all contorted, I wrote. I said, she's crawling towards him with her head in an improper position. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. It's creepy. She's basically on fours, but her head is like, Opposite of the way it should be. <laughs> right. So, and then she's like she tur- Linda Blair on all fours. And then she and her turns over. Yeah. And she turns over and her head is still improper. So it, it's kind of stuck in that position apparently, but she's laughing. She is. Trent gets in the car and drives away without her, leaves her. Of course, he likes to Marlboro. He's kind of feeling <laughs> like he's safe, I think. Yeah, and as he's driving along, the yellow lines on the road turn to fire, I wrote, question mark. Oranginess. Yeah. Ash, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's supposed to be hot coals. I think it's supposed to be fire, but. Yeah. Whatever. And then Trent ends up back in the middle of the town with the angry townsfolk. He backs up, drives away, and passes Styles and the old man riding together on a bicycle. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, it may, I was kind of laughed at that. Again, the yellow lines change and Trent is back in the middle of the town with the angry townsfolk. I said he should try to go a different way. And he again, he backs up and drives away. And again, he's back in the town with the angry townsfolk. But this time, he drives he's gonna, towards the townsfolk. Yes, he's going to take him out. Yeah, he's like, fuck it. <laughs> but at the last minute, who does he see? Well, somehow he misses all the townsfolk, Karen. I guess they they part like the Red Sea and let him through. But Styles is at the end. 
and Trent swerves to miss her and he crashes. Looks like he hits a dumpster. But pretty hard, so he's he's out of it. Next we cut and he's in a confessional question mark I wrote because I don't I'm, know. I never I been like, in one of those. <laughs> it's like surprised you know that, but yes, he is in a confessional. He's freaking out a little bit because he can't get out of it, as you would if you couldn't get out of confessional. So and what does I, he do? Well, apparently Kane is on the other side of the confessional. First, he lights his cigarette. <laughs> yes. Well, he wants to, but he can't get his match to light, I don't think. That's correct. His blue tip matches is, are not working wherever he's trying to he's trying to strike them. And Kane is in the priest position talking to him. And I thought it was interesting because he said religion seeks discipline through fear. That's what yeah. Kane says. I know. I just thought <laughs> I didn't really didn't make a note. I knew he was talking about religion, but but and Trent says your books aren't real. Kane talks about how many people are reading his books and more people believe in his books than in the Bible. And then Trent tells him he has a point. <laughs> and uh, Kane says, you're always looking for the con. Yeah. Trent is still looking for an explanation. And, he's, and Trent says, your books suck. <laughs> and Kane says, you must read the new one. It will drive you mad. Then Kane appears in the same confessional with Trent and he like, Pushes them through a wall, and then they end up in the room where Cain is typing the last words of the manuscript. He gives it to Trent, and he says he will be joining his new publishers now. He walks towards the door that is oozing stuff and breathing or whatever. Cain <laughs> tells Trent that he is what he wrote. Trent says he's not a piece of fiction. Cain says, read it. If you don't believe me, he tells him to go back to the world where he came from. And then a large passageway appears behind Trent. Well, he does mention one thing that I thought was interesting. He says, do you think that his agent attacked him by accident? He had yes. read the book. So he knew that right. Trent was going to bring the book back. So he was trying to kill him before he could do that. Right. So it all kind of circles back around because we did know that only Linda and the agent had read not all of it, I guess, but pieces of it. And Kane says, go back. I can't hold them any longer. And then Kane tears apart his face and it turns into a hole in a photograph in the wall or some shit. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't very good. The concept was good. The execution looked 1995, I guess. And Styles, I guess, begins reading the manuscript as monsters begin to appear in the dark hole left by where Trent ripped the hole in the photograph. Yeah, so she's reading from the manuscript, which is basically narrating what is happening. So she's proving that the book is, he's doing exactly what the book says he would be doing. Trent grabs her and tells her to come with him. She says she can't because she has read to the end of the book. So Trent runs down the corridors with the manuscript, right? It looks Black like an box. airport, doesn't it? Like an airport tunnel that you would go <laughs> through. But he's running and the creatures are chasing him. Just as they are about to catch him, he finds himself at a crossroads out in the country. He trips. Yeah. And then he wakes up on the road. And we see a paper boy on a bicycle. 
Do you recognize the paper boy, Karen? Is it Johnny? No. Oh, okay. No, I didn't recognize him. It's Hayden Christensen. Oh, really? Yes. This is no, his I, first I, film. I would have never <laughs> recognized him. But he asks Trent if he wants a newspaper. He says no. Um, he just wants to know, you know, where the nearest highway is. Boy points him towards the highway, straight down the road. Trent drops the manuscript and starts walking. Eventually, he hitches a ride with a truck driver. Cut to a motel. And he's, there's a movie on the TV. I think it's Thing from Another World or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's a horror movie. I know that. Next morning, Trent goes to the motel lobby to get a USA Today, Karen. Yep. The man tells him there's a package for him. He says, no one knows he's here. He's like, well, someone knows. And it just says John Trent on it. It's an envelope. It's, you know, a big manila envelope, right? He takes it to the room and opens it, and it is the manuscript. And I said, why doesn't he just burn it? So then you Trent know? goes back to the lobby, and he demands to know who delivered the package. The men there say they don't know. Trent goes back and burns the manuscript in his motel room in the bathroom sink. Next, we cut to Trent on a bus. Apparently, he's going back to New York City. New York City. And he falls asleep. And then Cain is sitting next to him. And he says he is God. He's God now. And Trent says God is not a hack horror writer. Cain <laughs> <laughs> says, maybe I can help you believe. He says, look around when you get up or wake up, whatever. Did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? <laughs> Hence our drink, Karen. Yep. Look at that. Trent wakes up and everything has a blue hue. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. He screams. And then he wakes up again. And he's back on the bus and the blue hue is gone. Then we have a scene where it appears he's at like some government building. I don't know. But he's asking about Hobbs End. Yeah, it's weird because he's on a bus to New York City, but then it seems like he's in New Hampshire. Yeah, like a state building in New Hampshire. It almost looks like those two scenes should have been flipped. Yeah, and he's told there never has and never will be a town by the name of Hobbs End in the state. Yeah, so that's, I don't... That's, that's very that's very definite. <laughs> there never, never will be... <laughs> but yeah, that seemed a little out of sequence to me. So then we cut the Trent and he's back at Arcane Publishing. And he tells Hargro the story where he tells, you know, Charlton Heston. Of course, Hargo does not remember Styles, doesn't know what he's talking about. He says, "If but it's a great story. And if you could write it out, I'd publish it. <laughs> yep. Trent says he destroyed the manuscript. But Hargrove says, no, you didn't. You delivered it to me months ago. He doesn't remember style. Yeah, you said he doesn't remember styles, doesn't think no. she existed. And he has the manuscript. Trent brought it to him months ago and he says the book has been in stores for seven weeks. Yeah, they published it in July. And then Trent, I think, pleads with Hardgrove to have it removed. Yeah. He says it will drive people crazy. And Hardgrove says, well, let's hope so. The movie comes out next month. So then we have news reports. As people line up to buy the book about, you know, an outbreak of paranoid schizophrenia. We hear but it's these. been out for a long time, seven weeks. Seven and weeks. And they're still lining up to get it. Uh, we see Trent 
at a bookstore, outside a bookstore. And a boy comes out with the book with the dual irises or whatever mm-hmm. you said, reading the book. I'm trying to ask him, do you like the book? And the boy says, yes. And he says, well, then this will come as no surprise. Then Trent pulls an axe out from his jacket. And he's looking a little worse for wear right now, too. Trent is. Just tired, like he hasn't slept. Yeah. Not he, zombified or anything. No, just... he doesn't have the the iris thing where he's like one of them or whatever. But he pulls out an axe and hacks the boy. He go. And we cut back to the asylum. Trent smokes another Marlboro. He explains to Dr. Wren that it spreads with every new reader. And Dr. Wren says, well, what about the people who don't read? And Trent says, there's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> then Dr. Wren turns off his tape recorder and leaves. He says he will be back. Trent tells him, take your time. He's in no hurry. He's much safer. He feels much safer where he is. Yes. He really doesn't know what's going on outside, but he suspects that shit has hit the fan. Right? Is this where he says every species can smell its own extinction? Yep. And the ones left won't have a pretty time of it. Maybe 10 years or less, the human race will be a bedtime story. To who? I guess the uh, The creatures that take over. The next, the insects, Karen. Aren't insects supposed to rule the world next? But it's a very stormy night that night. It is. And there's lots of screams and monsters outside Trent's door. Yeah, there's ruckus, as we like to say, outside the door. A violent ruckus. Next morning, the asylum is abandoned. And his room door is open. I did say they should market those scrubs. Because he's got the crosses all over on the black crosses. (laughs) They should... They should sell those. The asylum is trashed. There are copies of the book on the floor. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Yeah. Everybody's gone. There's a ton of blood. Your emergency broadcasts coming from the where you, you check in or whatever. And there is an epidemic of random mass killing, people becoming infected and committing senseless acts of violence. If you have not become infected yet, take shelter immediately and do not trust anyone. This is just like, what's the movie we watched? Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, is that it? It's very similar to that. Very similar. You know, shelter, don't go out. People outside of people who aren't infected are turning into like zombies. And they called it mass murder. What did they call it? I can't remember. But it, that reminded me. I think me it of, was, um, I think that's. Dawn no, of the not Dead. Dawn of the Dead. That's what I'm thinking of. Sorry, not Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Sort of had a little bit of that in it too, though, you know, where everyone around is being infected. The dead are rising and committing acts of mass murder. <laughs> but the Body Snatchers were that one guy was kind of left. Yeah. You know, and it, it's the same with um, Night of the Living Dead, right? Night of the Living Dead, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It just reminded me of both of those movies that we've done. But he doesn't shelter in place. He does not. He goes to the movies. And he watches the movie. As he well, wait, his... what? Did you see the marquee? Yeah. Ma- the, in the Mouth of Madness. Correct. With John Trent. Yes. And his, I think it's his image on the poster. Probably. I didn't notice that. But 
And he watches himself on film and laughs as he enjoys his popcorn. I wrote Karen. Yeah, he's laughing more and more like it's and a comedy. A montage of movie clips. And then eventually Trent begins to cry. Credits. The end. I have questions. Did you watch the credits all the way to the end, Karen? I did not. Did something happen? There's a kind of a funny thing at the very end. It says, Animal action was monitored by the American Humane Association with onset supervision by the Toronto Humane Society. No animal was harmed in the making of this film. It goes on to say, Human interaction was monitored by the Interplanetary Psychiatric Association. The body count was high. The casualties are heavy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Did you know that was there or do you always watch till the end? I knew something. I had a feeling like I'd read something in the credits, but I didn't remember it until I saw it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you've seen this before or no? No. no oh, no. okay. I was just doing research on it, you know, the other night and looking up trivia and things like that. And that was one of the things that came up. All right, Karen, what did you <laughs> really enjoy or were you pleasantly surprised by in this film? I really liked the story. I thought it was kind of interesting that someone could write your life as it was happening, kind of like the fates in Greek mythology, you know, that you don't really have a choice of what's going to happen. It just happens. And if that's true, I want to talk to my writer. I demand <laughs> a meeting with my writer. So I thought that was kind of a cool, it had some like inconsistencies a little bit, but with that, I think, but it was pretty well done. The story within the story kind of thing and everyone's slowly getting infected and all that was cool i think uh sam neill was fantastic i thought sutter kane was really good too whoever that actor was i'm not exactly sure well what the doctor's intention was going in to see him dr wren yeah, because they acted like he they was acted a, like he was like a government guy like yeah, a cia or, or something like that yeah, I don't know. It was strange, but I know he needed to be there to tell the story. So that's, I, I thought it was, I liked it. It was a good movie. It's a thought provoking movie over a gore movie. The creatures, yeah, well, we can talk about that in a minute. What did you like about it? Uh, I, I agree. I like the story. I like Sam, I love Sam Neill and everything I've seen him in. He's one of my favorite actors. I didn't care for Lydia too, Linda too much, but whatever. Yeah, I thought the special effects were fine. I liked the scenes. Scenes were good. Like the, you know, the locations they chose and things like that. Like that asylum is actually like a water treatment plant in Toronto. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But it looks cool from the outside. It looks like it could be an asylum, right? As the ambulance pulls up in the beginning. Yeah, it looked like an old-fashioned ambulance. Is that what and they And then we have like? the ambulance in, at the end, too. Come, well, I mean, this film kind of takes there. place in one yeah. day, right? Really, he's just retelling the story. Right. Which I kind of like, right? The, the way the film is set up, right? You're you're in present day, then the whole film is his, him recounting his story until we come back to 
supposedly present day. I like to love crafting uh, references. Yeah, I didn't catch those. Like a lot, all a lot of the well, all of the books titles are very similar titles to H.P. Lovecraft stories. Oh, okay. For instance, the Hobbs and Horror is similar to the Dunwich Horror. So they kind of play with that Lovecraftian thing. So, and I've tried to read. Have you ever read any Lovecraft? No. I tried. Tried. Just, I don't, I don't know. One for me. The style or the Too wordy or something. I don't know. I just, I just couldn't do it. Couldn't get through it. So. Maybe he got paid by the word. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Maybe, maybe he did. (laughs) But maybe I, I was too, you know, I wasn't fully, you know, engaged either. So I don't know. I do like that they did it a couple times and it can be trite a little bit where they wake up from a dream and then they're still dreaming and wake up again. But that's a scary, like if you think, if you're dreaming that you wake up and you think you're out of it and it's, you're not, that's extra. I think that's an extra scary thing. If you think about it, I don't know if that's ever happened to me. I don't think so, but and again, it's done a lot, but it was done well here. I think both times that they used it. I like. I kind of like that they, you know, like poke fun at Stephen King too. Anything else you liked? No, but I thought it was a good movie. I did like it. I did too. Special effects were pretty good. Really? For nineteen ninety-five, I, I thought they were. I fine. guess, but it's very dark though, so I couldn't really couldn't really see a lot, and there were very quick shots, which I kind of liked. You know, the montages of the axes and the blood and the monsters and going real quick. Yeah. I kind of like that. It was effective in showing that what what would could be happening in their brain at that point. Like an overload of imagery. Kind of a carpenter thing. Cuts back and forth a lot. Oh, it just occurred to me. Is that why he used the carpenters at the beginning? Because his last <laughs> name is Carpenter? I never... <laughs> Don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Just as an ironic kind of. <clears throat> All right. What didn't you like, Karen? Um, well, I didn't really like the special effects when he was pulling his face apart. I I don't know if it was supposed to be a page in the book or I don't know. I, I just. And even when the wall was breathing with the slime behind it, you could tell it wasn't wood. You know, like <laughs> it, it was that was a little weak. It wasn't terrible, but it no, wasn't great. I, yeah, I think I agree with that where he pulls the rips apart his face. I agree with that part. The creatures looked great. I assumed that it was very late in filming and they probably ran out of money. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I am assuming, but the zombie I could see what he was going for, I guess. Right? Yeah. The zombies looked good. The creatures looked fine. I did think I don't know. It was a little weird in the choppiness of like going in and out of different stories, because if it was supposed to be the final book and, you know, that was happening as he was writing it, but they were putting in, he was reusing things like the woman chopping up her husband. Well, I think that was in the town. I think that was in the previous book. 
Yes, but why, like, why were they throwing that in? If what's happening, if he's writing it as it happens, I guess I was confused. I couldn't figure out. Or maybe like, that part is in the new book because no, well, no, he had he read said, part of it. I don't know. No, he he said it's don't in an remember. old book, but she knew where the hotel was. Yeah, because it's in the Hobbs End Horror. And he didn't remember that. But then he said, well, if it's really from the book, the sweet old lady's going to chop up her husband, which she does. She but does. then it's like reusing previous book. I don't know. It's just weird. I couldn't follow why the kids, because you said he's writing the kids as zombies, but then there were parts that weren't being written, like her chopping up her husband because, and him, I don't know. I, it was confusing at times, I guess, trying to stay in the moment, but there were parts where it was just really off script, it seemed like. But otherwise, I, I liked it. I wouldn't really complain about much, especially from 1995. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was good. It was. It's another one with John Carpenter's not showing a lot of gore. It's just a lot of implied gore that you fill in with your imagination. Yes. Again. Agreed. Did you not like anything about it? Uh, I agree that, the, like I said, the scene where he's ripping apart his face. I don't know. Like I said, I kind of felt like the man ran out of budget. Yeah, the, the corridor when he's, you know, the corridor that appears that he can go back to present. It almost time. looked like mm -hmm. it was supposed to be like a spaceship or something, but it just looked like an airport to me. <laughs> Like one of those skywalkways that you go over or something, or I don't know. But it's effective in its simplicity with just um, Sutter Kane sitting in that room typing. There's nothing else really there. And it's still scary. You know, he pulls her in. There's the wall breathing behind. They Again, he does a lot with a little, I think. It does borrow from other horror films, or at least has that feeling of night of the living dead and the body snatchers the invasion of the body snatchers has that feel about it i still don't get how everybody's going to get infected like do you have to read a whole book do you only have to read part of a book do you have to read all of the books do you only have to read the last book what's the criteria once again karen you are you're way overthinking it <laughs> <laughs> it's what i do well, those are my questions, though. Yeah, I get it. Like, so how are they? The last book is probably like, well, drive people absolutely freaking crazy. But apparently. only people who read it or see the movie. So the rest right. of the people are fine. Or well, they're I guess attacked they're... by the other people. <laughs> I guess. Okay. But he only attacked the one guy because he read the book. I don't know. Well, the news reports say that there's, you know, a mass hysteria of mass murder. I and guess if you're that's not infected, true. You right. You just hide and not trust anyone because the infected are going to kill your ass. <laughs> Which is a miserable experience, I'm sure, just like The Walking Dead. You're constantly hiding until they finally get you. But that's kind of like the, the invasion of the body snatchers. All right. What, what kind of cocktail rating? What do you want to give this film, Karen? Cocktail rating. Oh, that's a tough one. It's better than a lot of the threes. We've it is. Seen. I agree. <laughs> so I think we have to give it a two. I agree. It's kind of a thinking person's horror film, isn't it? Don't you think? 
Well, it does make you think, like I said, about fate and freedom of choice and <laughs> all that kind of, and religion. And yeah, it is. All right. And what did you think of the Hobbs and cocktail or the Hobbs and highball cocktail? I think I liked it more than you did because I like gin more than you do. Well, mine's almost evaporated. <laughs> Good job. There you go. Anything we learned today, Karen? Did Dr. Karen teach us anything? We rehashed Dobermans because I love a Doberman. What was the deal with the number nine? Just that number just kept kept reappearing. I don't think it really. I don't know if I missed something, but his hotel room and his when he was with Linda, his hotel room was number nine in the store in Hob Hobbs End, and in the insane asylum, he was put in room number nine. Okay, but. I thought it was going to go somewhere, but it never did. Okay. But they were both room number nine. So we learned about Doberman pinchers and typewriters. Yes. <laughs> there was Metallica reference at the beginning. I did, yeah. And I did confirm that, yeah, it's, it's on the Wikipedia page that he tried to get the rights, but couldn't, so he made up his own version. Okay. Anything else we learned? I don't think so. I didn't really go too deep in this one i'll try to make up for it talk a little about lovecraft yes hp lovecraft out there for your boys and girls if you don't know who we're talking about this is a very lovecraft inspired story i would say all right karen i believe next film is your choice is it is it not it is and what film have you chosen for us what cinematic adventure absolutely I have chosen the 1981 My Bloody Valentine. The original, I believe, right? Yes, there is, there is a remake. From 1981. What? Why did you choose this film, Karen? Because it's close to Valentine's Day when this episode will air, Greg. Hmm, actually, the day after Valentine's Day, right? Yeah, so you're lucky you made it through Valentine's Day, I bet, because it's a bit of a slasher film, I'm guessing. I've not seen it before. But it has teenagers in it, so I'm guessing. <laughs> Maybe some teenage sex. Maybe we'll have sexual drug con- use. <laughs> we'll get sexual contact. <laughs> I don't know. Haven't had a boob in a while, Karen. I'm just saying. Well, this is promising. <laughs> I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> do you do you have a cocktail karen something valentine inspired some lovey-dovey cocktail yes i do go on it's the bloody valentine (laughs) cocktail and there are many bloody valentine cocktails out there okay but this one is from the daily meal okay what are we gonna need three ounces of orange juice two ounces never good when it starts without that liquor usually liquor is first but go on (laughs) Two ounces of tequila. Oh, there we go. Half an ounce of grenadine. A half an ounce of blood orange syrup. Blood orange syrup, you say, Karen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And a blood orange slice for garnish, if you can find it. Okay. Cool. Anyone you need to thank this week, Karen? Well, as always, I'm going to thank our listener. There are a lot of podcasts out there. Thank you for listening to us. What about you, Greg? Well, Karen, I need to thank the people of the great state of Georgia. I also need to thank our new YouTube subscribers. 
Terrence, Hasham, and Amy. You know who you are. Thank you. <laughs> Why are we thanking Georgia? Because Georgia had a lot of downloads, Karen. Uh, okay. Thank you, Georgia. You're a peach of a state. Yes. Lots of downloads this week in the great state of Georgia. So whoever you are downloading our episodes in Georgia, thank you. Keep it up. <laughs> Anything else, Karen? Please drink responsibly. Yes. Hey, it's Karen, and I'm here to talk to you about getting social with us. Did you know you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Scary Spirits Podcast? Or check out our website, scaryspirits.com. If you have something to say, email us at info at scaryspirits.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Please drink responsibly. <laughs>